You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 10, 24 through 42. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Belzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head will have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, our souls rejoice this morning. Because those of us who know and love Jesus can proclaim from the rooftops. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and of death. We thank you because we who know Christ and are covered in his righteousness, we can proclaim from the rooftops. That because we've been justified by Jesus' blood, we will be saved by him from your wrath. 
And yet, Lord, we have this text before us this morning where you show us that the call to greedy discipleship is very difficult. And Father, I want to confess before my brothers and sisters this morning, as I prepared this text and read this text, I was overwhelmed and am overwhelmed with the reality of my inadequacies. For who is adequate for these things? And the answer is no one. But yet, Lord, your charge to me this morning is to preach your word, not for your people, but to your people. And it's for your people to hear your word. So would you open up our minds and our hearts, open up my voice and give me the power to preach your word and to pray that your spirit would help me to believe what I preach. May your people believe it. So Lord, come to us now, we pray, and show up and do something supernatural as we seek to become more faithful disciples of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The cost of gritty discipleship, it's great. Jesus himself tells us this. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, a scribe approached Jesus to tell him that he would follow Jesus wherever he would go. Then, in verse 20, Jesus responds by saying, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was, I think, Jesus' way of saying, have you counted the cost? Do you really understand what it means to follow me wherever I go? Brothers and sisters, this word is a very important one for us this morning. Because following Jesus on the path of gritty discipleship may lead to suffering. It may lead to homelessness. It may lead to loneliness. It may lead to unfulfilled expectations and desires. It may lead to you not fulfilling the American dream. It may lead to you losing everything for which you spend your life working to acquire. It may lead to sickness, and it may ultimately lead to the sacrifice of death. I don't know about you, but I absolutely am fired up about our vision statement. Filling up your city, our city, with gritty disciple makers. Don't y'all love that? Let me warn you, before you sign up to become a gritty disciple maker, 
And before you sign up to fill up this city with gritty disciple makers, we first must count the cost. Amen? Because the cost is great. And discipleship sounds exciting (laughs) until you lose something. Until reputations are slandered and jobs are threatened. And those of us who are comfortable become uncomfortable until we lose something. Until you lose everything. So I think this morning, it's the basic point of Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42. Namely, we must count the cost of becoming a discipleship of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But first, let me give you a word of context before I give you three truths I want us to consider. This text in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and following occurs in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples some hard truths before they go out on mission. He encourages them to go out on mission, preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in the authority of his name. And he tells them that they should heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and to do these things trusting that God would meet their every need. And then he quickly warns his disciples of the great dangers that would surely come upon them as they preached the gospel of the kingdom and obeyed the gospel of the kingdom in a hostile world. In chapter 10, verse 16, he warns that he sends them out into the world as wolves or sheep amongst wolves. And he consequently says they should be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Our Lord wants us to go on mission, but he doesn't want us to be stupid about the mission. Amen? He doesn't want us to be naive We should take the gospel to everyone who will listen to us. We we should pray and work to take the gospel throughout this city and throughout the ends of the earth. But we must always be wise and discerning so that we do not cast our gospel pearls before swine. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And yet... Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 through 23, that his disciples would suffer persecution on account of his name, not because they sin, not because they live unrighteously, but because they preach and obey the gospel of the king. And that many would hate them on account of his name. Our text this morning continues this message. Jesus reminds them that they are not above their master. Since he will suffer for the gospel, they too will suffer for the gospel. 
as they preach it from city to city. Hear this word before we walk through the text. As followers of Christ, no, we will not suffer exactly the same way as Jesus suffered. He absorbed the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. God turned his face away from his son. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for your sin and my sin. No one suffers like that. But we will suffer in one way or another. As followers of Jesus, people will lie on us. People will slander us. People will seek our harm. And some people may even try to physically kill us. So the question is, have you counted the cost? I want to give you three truths this morning from this text. Still with me? Number one. Greedy disciple makers, we will suffer for the gospel. We don't even have to go searching for it. It's going to find us. Because Jesus suffered. Notice, for example, verse 24, verse 25. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. Or a slave above his master. Verse 25, it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. Now notice this, if they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household. If they called him a demon, how much more would they call his followers demons? Notice further, verses 34 through 39, he says the same thing. This is a Look, this is a hard text. I'm confessing, this is hard, all right? I don't have this figured out. I'm eating up with conviction right now, okay? So don't hear this sermon to be condemning you. I'm preaching to myself. You feel me this morning? Verse 34, don't assume that I come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. Oh, he comes to bring salvation to the world. And he's come to unify all things and all people to himself that repent and follow Christ. But he did not come to be popular. He came to be faithful. And that faithfulness will rip a division between the closest of friends and the closest of family members if one believes and the other does not believe. Isn't that what he says in verse 35? For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. I was so naive when I first got saved. I felt free from my sin, and I told my cousins, I am saved. And they said, well, who do you think you are? We're going to suffer. Because he suffered. If we want to be gritty disciple makers, no, we don't need to pursue suffering. I hate suffering. I don't want it in my life, but it has found me from time to time. 
and it's going to find you. All you got to do is be faithful to Jesus. And you don't even have to say anything. Just be faithful in how you live your life. And then when you start opening up your mouth and you begin calling people to repent and believe, watch the suffering come. Second point. Greedy disciple makers must fear God. But we must work to overcome fear of man. I want to read these verses in a moment. I want to say something to you before I do. First of all, there's a fear of God that is unbiblical. The kind of fear that paralyzes you and that does not move you to action. The fear of the Lord, rightly understood, is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom leads you on the path of faithful obedience. It leads you on the path of righteousness. When you rightly understand who God is and you rightly understand who you are in light of God and who you are in light of Christ, the fear that you have of God moves you to be faithful to God. It doesn't simply paralyze you. It moves you. Revelation chapter 1 when the apostle John saw Jesus, he was terrified. And Jesus touched him and said, don't fear. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I've conquered the power of hell and death and the grave. Don't fear, but be faithful to me. That's the call of revelation. Be faithful as you suffer for me. And let me say something about fear of man before I read the text. Can I confess some sin to you all today? This is hard to obey for me. I struggle with fear of man. And sometimes it paralyzes me. Can I be real with you? Your pastor doesn't have it all figured out, all right? None of the pastors do. Amen, Pastor Jamal, wherever you went. <laughs> I thought he was there. <laughs> he was there, but he's not now. You know I was going to call him out. We don't have it all figured out. We're fighting the same fight as you. And because I love to think I'm sovereign, and I'm not, but I love to think I'm sovereign when man tries to harm me and I can't control what he does, that terrifies me. So there's a word from God this morning, isn't there? Work to overcome fear of man. But fear God. Now, another word about fear. I know fear is complex. And fear can move us in ways that cause us to do irrational things. And we all have some fear. And the word of the Lord is, in Christ, you can work through your fear. Even if you struggle with fear the rest of your life. Now, notice the text. Verse 26, still with me? Yes. Therefore, therefore what? Because I'm going to suffer, and I did suffer. Therefore, don't be afraid of them. Who are the them? The them are the ones who call Jesus a demon. Don't be afraid of man, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. 
Verse 28, why shouldn't I be afraid of man? When I am in my most fearful state, why should I work to overcome that fear of man? Why should I not let those who seek to harm me cause me to be afraid and shrink back? Why should I resist that? Notice the text. Don't fear those who kill the body, who are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's an answer to my question. We must work to overcome fear of man, work through our fear of man in faithful obedience to Jesus because man or woman cannot kill our soul. The worst thing my enemies can do is kill me. They can't take my eternal life. And I want to believe that. Our enemies can take us through torture. They can steal our livelihood. They can harm our families. They can send us into psychological and emotional despair, but they can take our eternal life because that's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He continues. He says, fear the one... Verse 28, who can kill both soul and body in hell. In other words, fear God. When you're tempted to shrink back from faithfulness to Jesus because of your enemies, fear God. And may that fear move you to be faithful. Because, verse 29, God is comprehensively sovereign. Y'all love the sovereignty of God? I love the sovereignty of God. This church loves the sovereignty of God. Your elders love the sovereignty of God. Y'all love that this morning? Aren't, verse 29, two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent? In other words, the things that your enemies want to do to you cannot happen to you unless God, by his sovereign care, allows them to hurt you. You know that? Now, this might scare some of you all. But I like to think of it this way. The devil and my enemies are, chain, are dogs on God's divine leash. And they can only go as far as God will let them. So when they come after me, I pray, God, deal with them. If they won't repent, deal with them. I don't scream at God that way, but you get the point. Don't allow their wicked devices to harm me. You should pray that way. You should fear God when your enemies threaten you and not your enemies because your enemies can only do what your sovereign God lets them do. Now, let me say this. We ought not to weaponize that truth, right? God's sovereignty is no reason for you to be apathetic, apathetic toward injustice. It's no reason for you to be okay with injustice. You see injustice around you, you should work in the power of the Spirit and, if necessary, within the legal system to help put an end to that injustice. Amen? 
You never use God's sovereignty as an excuse for injustice to flourish. My point is, our enemies can only do what our sovereign God allows them to do. And even then, they cannot steal our soul. They can only hurt our flesh. So brothers and sisters, greedy disciple makers, we fear God. But we must work to overcome fear of man because our God, he is a sovereign, heavenly father who lets and allows things to come into our life for his glory and for our good, who even knows the number of hairs we bald men have lost. <laughs> He's that kind of God. Third point. Greedy disciple makers are not ashamed of Jesus or his mission. Notice verse 32, verse 33. Don't be afraid, verse 31. You're worth more than many sparrows. God loves you. God will protect us. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. And that's a hard verse. Here's, here's what he's saying. By acknowledging, he means confessing. He means walking the path of discipleship. Now we all, we all fall short of that command, don't we? On a given basis, on a regular basis. There've been times where I've seen open doors for the gospel in my life and I've let fear keep me from walking through that door. But what he's emphasizing, I think is, is a rhythm of life that our rhythm of life needs to be one in which we are living in obedience to the king. A biblical reason why I think that is right is because Peter denied Jesus, right? And the Lord restored him. And the Lord will confess him on the last day, at the end of the ages, when Jesus returns from heaven and earth and the dead are raised and the books are open and every person will be judged in accordance with his or her works. Peter will be, is now, and will be with the Lord forever because the Lord restored him. He restores us when we sin, but the exhortation is confess him. Don't deny him. Notice further verse 34, or verse 33. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do y'all feel the weight of that verse? You feel the weight of that verse? Again, confessing and denying should be read side by side. He's talking about a pattern of life. Here's an example. If you live your life verbalizing that you are a believer on the one hand to other believers, but if your pattern of life is living in disobedience to Jesus and not following him in the path of discipleship, I think Jesus would say to you, you need to listen to this warning. You're denying me. Confessing him is more than saying, yep, he's the Lord. Confessing him means your words and your life illustrate that you're yielded to the king as a pattern of your life. 
We all fall short of the glory of God. I sinned today. We, no one in this room follows Jesus perfectly. No one is as faithful as we ought to be, but everyone should be imperfectly faithful, right? Imperfectly faithful. By which I mean we are walking on the difficult path of discipleship so that when we sin, we confess and we keep going forward. We don't let go of the plow. We put our hands on the plow. We go forward and we don't go back. I think verses 40 to 42 basically say the same thing. But I want to conclude, not the sermon, but the three points of the sermon and give you some next steps. In your bulletin, you have four applications, but that's just an appetizer. I got 12 in my, in my notes. <laughs> Number one, how do you become a greedy disciple? How do you count the cost? Well, the first thing you need to do, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, you, you cannot be on the path of discipleship because you're not a disciple. But you can turn away from your sin right now in this room. You can look to Jesus' wrath-bearing death. You can believe by faith that God offered Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and that he absorbed the wrath of God for your sin and that God raised him up from the dead for your sin. And you can commit your life right now to follow Jesus until the day you die and you have the promise of eternal life. And you can count the cost of becoming a greedy disciple and making greedy disciples in his Name. So that's the first next step. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to turn to Christ. Look, folks, this is about heaven and hell. This is no joke. We're not a club, are we? We're a church commissioned to ransom sinners from the gates of hell and out of darkness. And I'm calling you, if you're in darkness and you're not a believer, come on into the light today. Second, those of us who are saved, we must count the cost of becoming greedy disciple makers. Jesus wants our lives he wants everything. He wants your gifts, your talents, your money, your time. He wants your health, your thoughts, your kids. He wants your sexuality. He wants your marriage. He wants your singleness. He wants your desires. Are we willing to consider the cost of giving our lives to him, the cost of giving up everything to him. Now to clarify, no one fully knows what the cost is, right? We grow in our understanding of the cost. In fact, if I would have known in 1996 when I became a Christian, what I know now about following Jesus, I would have likely said no thank you to the invitation. So understand, I'm not saying greedy disciples must have it all figured out. I do not have it all figured out. Nobody in this room has it all figured out. 
not even after we follow him. I followed Jesus for 23 years and I still have questions and I'm still confused about how difficult the cost is. But instead, we will grow into gritty discipleship. And we must understand, brothers and sisters, being a gritty disciple and a gritty disciple maker leads to deep sorrow as well as to deep joy, right? Just do life with people who are saved and be involved in their mess and you'll see the sorrow. Amen, brothers and sisters? But then you'll see the joy when you see the power of the gospel in their lives through that mess. There's deep sorrow because we might lose everything. There's deep joy because we'll, we've gained everything if we know Jesus. So a question is, are we willing to lose everything, to gain everything? My answer is, I don't know. I think so. But time will tell. Are you that honest, right? Time will tell. Today, in this comfortable church, <laughs> in my life of comfort, yeah, I've counted the cost today. But when those enemies start growling, and the fiery darts of hell are shot. Are we willing to lose everything to gain everything? It's a question for us all. Let me give you another next step of becoming a greedy disciple maker. Be involved in the life of this church. Now I'm going to lean in on this, all right? If you're not a member of Sojourn Midtown, and you've been coming here for a regular season of time, I exhort you, sign up for a membership interview, go to a membership class, sign up for a membership uh, interview, and join this church. You will never take greedy discipleship seriously if you don't take church membership seriously. Don't treat this church like a one-night stand. This is Jesus' interracial bride for which he bled. Amen to that. Commit yourself to the church. If you're following Jesus today, but you've never been baptized, why not? Go to our baptism class. Learn about baptism and get baptized immediately. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, one aspect of discipleship is baptism, dying with him, through immersion, all the way under the water, after you're converted, raised to life in newness of life. Romans 6. Another next step is be, get connected to a community group. Our community groups are the first point of placement for life on life in this church. And your community group will help you be on mission together to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers, with fellow believers in the church. We need one another, folks. I cannot live the Christian life by myself. If I try, I will fall away from Jesus Christ. And you better believe that. And you'll fall away too. 
If you're living the Christian life by yourself in isolation, you're not living the Christian life. He redeemed you for community. Get involved in a community group. Another next step. If you're a member of this church or if you're not, help with one of our mercy ministries. See, one of the many things I love about Sojourn Midtown is it pushes me. It pushes me to get out of my little bitty abstract academic box and to get on mission with real people in the real world. And our mercy ministry here, led by our dear sister, Christy Ivy, gives us rhythms of opportunities to be greedy disciples like the medical clinic coming up in November. The affordable Christmas coming up in, I think, December. Be involved in the life of the church. Be involved in the ministries that the church provides for you to be able to be on mission. If you're a CG leader, use that opportunity to bring your CG together to be on mission together in Shelby Park. One of the things everybody in this church has in common is we all drive or come to Shelby Park to go to church. Let's pour our resources then back into the community through the local church. Amen? Let's be gritty <laughs> and turn this city upside down through the opportunities we already have here at Midtown. Another example. If you have kids in grades 6 through 12, pray about being involved in our student ministry on Sunday nights where you can see the life-transforming power of the gospel change kids' lives. And let me say, as one who works with that ministry, it's a blessing to your soul, but we need help. We need some adults we need some singles and married people. We need some of you seminary students who aren't doing any work. Come and help us. Come and help us. Here's another example. I'm almost done, all right? Commit to pray. Here's how you become a greater disciple. Pray regularly for the spiritual and financial health of the church. Pray for your elders. Pray for the staff. That's a part of greedy discipleship. And finally, share your faith. Share the gospel. Easy to talk about it. See, one of the things I don't understand about these people who are so committed to defending the gospel, my question is, are you sharing it with people? Maybe you're thinking, Jarvis, I'm scared to do that. I'm too. I am too. But see, if you fear God and you work through that fear, the Lord works. Let me give you an example, okay? True story. A year ago, around this time, my auntie, after 23 years before she died, she got saved. 23 years I prayed for her, she got saved. Guess what? In the first week of October, my mama converted after 23 years of praying for her too. Converted. And my mom is a simple person. But I would get nervous when I talked to her about the gospel. She's my mama after all, right? And through the course of years and prayer, 
She said, I want Jesus. <laughs> Folks, you want to see people's lives transformed. Share your faith. Now, we can't do everything, but everyone can do something, right? To live out our vision together of filling up our city to become greedy disciple makers. So the question I have for you as I conclude is, are you in or are you out? If you're in, then may God help us. Walk the difficult path of gritty discipleship together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray by your grace and for the glory of your great name that these brothers and sisters that I and the rest of your pastors, oh Lord, that we would admit that this is a difficult calling, but it's the path that leads to life. So Lord, would you help us to get on that path together? And would you even now begin working in the hearts of your people and stirring up our affection so that we are not pushed away but drawn near. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. On the night <clears throat> that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples called Passover. And during that meal, he broke bread and he shared it with his disciples. And he said, this bread represents my broken body which will be broken for you. And like Minor, Jesus shared a cup of wine with his disciples. And he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, which I will shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Here at Sojourn Midtown, we invite any believer, any Christian who is following Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate in this Lord's Supper. But if you're not a believer this morning, if you're not a Christian, you don't need to wonder, is it awkward for me to sit here? Should I go forward? No, just sit there quietly. This meal is not for you if you're not a Christian. But you can become a Christian today. You could turn from your sin right now, give yourself to Christ now, and then you can talk with one of the pastors about what it means for you then to, to be a participant in this, in this meal. Finally, for those of you who are believers, but you're holding on to unrepentant sin, you're refusing to let unrepentant sin go, you're refusing to follow Jesus faithfully, Here, here's a word for you. Repent of that right now and make it right. But if you refuse to repent as a believer, if you refuse to repent, I would say, then, then don't partake. Because the Bible warns us not to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner. Communion, for those of you in the front, is to the front. For those of you in the back, it's in the back. Gluten-free communion is to my left, and non-alcohol communion to my left as well. When you come forward to go to the back, you take a piece of the bread, dip it into the wine. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Amen. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. 
For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.